very familiar reading, and I do believe today that the Lord has uh, guided my thoughts for the service today. I know we have a cake auction after altar service, but nothing has greater priority than what we're doing now. Our altar service is great priority. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee, that thy faith fail not. And when you're converted, strengthen thy brethren. I want to speak to you for a little while this morning about the heel of difficulty. This is going to be very relevant to probably most everyone here today. Unless it's your life is a piece of cake, this won't apply to you. And I doubt if there's anybody here today with that situation. The heel of difficulty. Everybody say, thank God for the word. <clears throat> thank you for standing and you may be seated. In case you're wondering and in case you haven't figured it out, the devil is doing everything he can to hinder your progress toward heaven. The devil really doesn't care how much sin you're in, just as long as you're in sin. You don't have to be a heathen. You don't have to be a bank robber, a murderer. As long as the devil can keep you in any element or degree of sin, he has you where he wants you. As long as you're not going to heaven, you can be a good person and still have sin resident in your life and that will preclude you from going to heaven as brother jason read this morning out of romans but take great confidence in this that it's not a new thing the devil has done this to humankind since adam he's been working to obstruct the path of righteousness for men and women since time began <clears throat> in that classic book the pilgrim's progress written by John Bunyan, we find the allegory of a man who is on his way to heaven and is having to traverse through all sorts of obstacles and hindering elements that work to impede his progress. <clears throat> Such is the case when he reaches what Bunyan refers to, and it's the title of my message today, The Hill of Difficulty. Some of you are at this point in your life right now. At the bottom of the hill is a spring of cool, clear water, Bunyan describes. The man whose name in this novel is Christian stops for a drink before his difficult climb. While he's lingering, he notices that on either side of the hill there are two alternate ways, but the narrow way is the one leading straight up the mountain. He becomes aware of the name of these two alternate paths. One is called danger, and it leads to a dark forest of trees, and the other is named destruction, and it carries a traveler over a dark and daunting mountain range. Those who take these two paths, the alternate paths, they never recover. They can never fully make a comeback. They've chosen the paths of danger or destruction. These are his words as he begins to take on the next challenge in his walk toward heaven, toward that celestial city. He says, The hill, though high, I desire to ascend. The difficulty will not me offend. 
For I perceive the way to life lies here. Come be strong, heart. Never faint nor fear. Better, though difficult, the right way to go than wrong, though easy, where the end is woe. It does not take long in serving Jesus to realize that there are difficulties that will place themselves in the path of our faith. I want to say something to everybody here today, and I want everybody to listen. Going to heaven will never be easy. God never promised it would be easy. But listen to pastor. Going to hell won't be easy either. A lot of people are going to end up in that place of destruction, that place of eternal torment. They will arrive there as an alcoholic or a nicotine addict or all kind of domestic issues and all kind of immorality. And besides that, the sins of the flesh that James talks about, uh, or rather Paul talks about in Galatians 3, that the sins of the flesh of lust and pride and all of those things. So where heaven is not always an easy journey, Neither is hell, and I want everybody to forget that, or excuse me, to never forget that. Anyone who takes seriously the call of Jesus in their lives will face situations requiring sacrifice, self-denial, and discipline. Those things make a pretty good person up anyway. Well... I hope all of you are not under the water today. Sometimes that old sinful nature that all of us possess will try again and again to rise up and to make the past seem very alluring. We will never be able to escape the path of difficulty. And for some, life is going to be more difficult than others. I don't know how God weighs that. I don't know how He chooses it. There's people sitting here this morning that have had more than their share of difficulty. And it seems like it never ends. It's one thing right after another. Other people seem to have less difficulty. But I can promise you, everybody is going to have difficulty in their life. Oddly enough, oddly enough and all of that being said, Too many have brought the idea that true spiritual greatness can come to their lives without a cost being involved in it. Here's what they think. Notice the screen. In essence, they are saying these words. They don't don't say it out loud, but their actions say it. Lord, we want to serve you, but we want you to come and follow us. Doesn't work that way. Jesus said, Take up your cross and follow me. He don't follow us. The whole previous chapter of Luke 21, we read of Luke 22, Jesus is giving some instructions to the disciples about the coming days, both the near and the far coming of his kingdom. It appears from verses 28 through 30 that Jesus is commending them for their steadfastness and standing with him in the last three years of his ministry. It is after this lengthy discussion that Jesus makes almost a sudden transition in his thoughts and begins to address Simon Peter specifically. Oddly enough, you can note that at the beginning of Luke 22 that Judas is named expressly and that Satan 
has entered into him, the Bible said. So I want you to notice with me this morning that there's two men in Jesus' ministry. There are two of his disciples in particular that's going to have a rather difficult and severe time of sifting. One of them, of course, is Simon Peter. The other is Judas Iscariot. You will notice if you continue the story of their lives, out of these two men that are sifted, only one of them would be saved. Not everyone who is sifted will be saved, but everybody that is saved will be sifted. In 1 Peter chapter 4, Peter said, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fire trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing has happened unto you, but rejoice inasmuch as you are partakers of Christ's suffering, that when his glory shall be revealed, he may be glad with also exceeding joy. James said, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers or many and unusual temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith works patience. So it's not without significance that Jesus picks up the use of the name Simon instead of Peter. For it is this name Simon that suggests of Peter weakness and it carries with it the thought of him being unconverted, unsanctified, and unanointed. Simon, Jesus said, Satan has desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. The picture that Jesus refers to here is one that all of his disciples are familiar with. During the days of the wheat harvest, the wheat having been gathered in from the fields would have to be endure the process of sifting. The sifting process was a very violent shaking of the wheat to separate the real fruit from the kernel. The sifting of the wheat was a very thorough but a very necessary process. The wheat, uh, as it had grown, had matured, and it formed a necessary kernel for the protection of the wheat on the inside of it. Yet the protection of this kernel could not bring any value to the farmer until it had been removed. The harvester would spare nothing in the sifting process. The wheat would be loaded into a large sieve and then it would be shaken very violently and very rapidly until only the fruit, only the wheat remained. It was this trying process that the greatest potential of the wheat was discovered and was revealed. The kernels were allowed to be blown away by the wind and those that were not blown away by the wind was burned and destroyed by fire. There becomes a greater principle to embrace in this text. Every sifting experience in our lives has two values in it. One is to strengthen and help our own progress, to help our own development, and to strengthen our faith. The other part of it is that we may gain strength to help others. And everybody said amen. Amen. Jesus informed Simon that Satan desired to sift him as wheat. Not only did Satan desire to destroy him, but it would be in the near future that Satan would attempt to do this harrowing uh, process to Peter and yet give valuable experience to Peter at the same time. 
The near future for Simon Peter held the great denial of Jesus where Peter denied knowing him three times. The future for Peter held a dying Jesus, a crucified Jesus. The near future held the isolation of failure. The future held the bitter grief that was waiting for him. That violent shaking would be one that tossed him about with sudden and sharp temptation. It would distract his mind with fear and anxiety. It would cause him to warm at the fire of worldliness and compromise. It would cast him down into the humiliation of complete and total failure. F.B. Meyer said, If God promised his servants an unbroken run of prosperity, there would be many counterfeit Christians. Don't be surprised at the famine. It is permitted to root you deeper, just as a whirlwind makes a tree grapple deeper roots into the soil. All of this is an attempt for the devil to gain a defection from one of Jesus' disciples. However, the sifting process is not so much much to be destructive as it is meant to be purifying. There's so much I want to say today, but I'm going to keep moving. One may ask the question, what made Peter so attractive to the devil? I've kind of thought the same thing when I've been tempted, and I don't consider myself to be that big of a deal. Why would the devil want to come after me about anything? Maybe some of you have felt that way. Why is the devil after me? You have to understand about Simon Peter from what we read about him in the Scripture is there was a large quantity of self-confidence about him and going along with that, a very strong will. God knew that if he could take that self-confidence and that strong will and aim it in the right direction, he would have quite a disciple. The devil also knew that, so it was coming after him. So I want to say in passing today, if you're here today, and you have large amounts of self-confidence of how you will survive life without God. The devil has your number. If you think you can live life without him, God bless you. I decided a long time ago, almost 50 years ago, I didn't want to live five minutes without him. Amen. Every single purpose, listen to pastor this morning, every single purpose that is formed in your own strength is like the writing in the sand at the seashore. In a short while, the writing in the sand will be swept away by the incoming tide. Your victory does not rest in your own abilities or possessions, but rather in the full submission to God's purpose and will for your life. Nobody here today has the ability to sustain yourself against all the things that life can throw out at you. We must notice, and I'm going to keep moving here. There's illustrations I want to use, but I'm not here to patronize anybody. People have to understand, you have to put your hands in God's hands, period, if you're going to survive life as a winner. Everybody said amen to that. So it was the devil that attacked the faith or the will of Simon. 
I find it interesting that Jesus told Simon, I pray that your faith fail not. When Simon, I'm not saying Jesus was wrong, he knew what he was talking about. I'd like to do some study on the translation. But it seems to me like what had gotten Peter to this point was his will to do it, not so much his faith doing it. And I understand that the will of a man can be a great thing. It can sustain you. It can keep you accountable. But bottom line, somewhere along the line in your life, there has to be that transfer where your will becomes faith. And then you depend on God for the next breath you breathe and for the next beat of your heart. Thank the Lord. So you must notice also the prayer of the Lord. He did not pray that Simon would be delivered from the sifting. He didn't deliver him from it. He didn't take the sifting out of his life. He did not pray for it to be canceled. He did not pray for Simon to have an easy path. But rather he prayed that no matter what life, no matter what circumstance or event crowded in on Simon Peter, Jesus prayed that above all else, that his faith would stay intact. I'm going to say some things. I don't want to be too specific here today. But people must realize, and even in light of the storm that passed through this morning, I'm thinking about folks, and, and if times really got hard, what would we do in reference to church? I think sometimes it's, it's a worthy thing for us to experience a little heartache to get to church. I'm not getting any response to this. I don't know if my mic's not on or what. But whether you like it or not or agree or not, what I'm still preaching is true. And everybody said amen to that. God doesn't always save us from the difficulty. Let me use this as an illustration without getting too close to current events. I remember what happened to uh, Christy Murphy's nephew a number of years ago. What long after we bought this building, he was struck by lightning. How old was Evan when that happened? Eight years old. Struck by lightning. Brother Phil, his grandson, and he died. I don't know why God allows things to happen to people. I've never been able to figure it out. There's people sitting here today. Brother Vic Duran was in a horrible accident a number of years ago. It's only the mercy of God he survived it. You could go up one section, down the other, up another one. People have difficulties. Everybody has the difficult hill to climb. And I don't know how God chooses, and I don't know how he orchestrates. And in Jesus addressing Simon Peter, and I'm going to stand here and preach this a while, bake sale or no bake sale until you get the point. And I'll know it by the way you react to me. I don't know how God sets people aside and says, I'm going to choose for you to lose a child. He don't do that to everybody. I don't know how God sets people aside and says, I'm going to let your daddy be in a boating accident. I'm going to allow that to happen. I'm not going to spare Brother Vic from a horrible uh, car incident on the interstate. I'm not going to spare you. When Jesus spoke these words to Simon, and most of us have heard this all of our life, Jesus never elaborated on why we all have that difficult hill to climb. 
He never elaborated on why some suffer more than others. He never talked about how he chose people to suffer in different ways over other people. But he did say this to Simon. You're going to be sifted. And I'm not going to spare you. And the best I can do for you, Peter, this is God robed in flesh speaking to Simon Peter. The best I can do for you, Simon, is all I can do is pray. And my, the content of my prayer, Brother James, is simply this. I pray for you that when you are sifted, that your faith in me doesn't fail. So not only did Brother Phil lose his grandson, but today he's in the fight for his life with cancer. I could go on and on here today. I, I'm trying not to be too specific. I don't want to patronize people in any way. I value and respect things that happen to people. And I don't know how God chooses, Brother Phil, for that to happen to your family. I don't know how he does that. I don't know how he chooses, Brother Wheeler, for things to happen to your family. But all I can tell you is this. It's whatever God allows, whatever God permits. His only prayer, His only prayer. Tanya, His only prayer is when you go to hell and back. When you suffer Mike and Sheila beyond what life seems to be fair. All Jesus does during this time is praise that your faith don't fail. When life is hard and there's that heel of difficulty, the best offering God has is I hope your faith don't fail. If it does, you'll never make it. And this is where folks here today, and there's a lot of us here today, that we're kind of set financially. And I say us, I'm not, but some of you are. You're set financially, and you're ready for retirement, and you're ready for this and ready for that, and your home's paid for, and your car's paid for, and you've got some stocks and bonds, and you, you've got your 401K, and life is set. You've got all these investments. And it's almost like Jesus in your life is just another added blessing, that it's really not a necessary thing, that you are accountable enough on your own, you have the will enough on your own to survive the little pesty things that life brings to us day in and day out, the chewing out by the boss, or I didn't get that pay raise, and I can't have that new car, and I can't afford the new house that I want right now, but I'll just put up with it, and I'll sacrifice. And when the microwave oven breaks, and you go buy a new one, it's just one of them little pain-in-the-neck things. But sometimes, sometimes... Life throws at you a curveball that you don't see and you don't expect. And you're not prepared for it when you're sitting out in the backyard for a wonderful Memorial Day weekend and your grandson is struck by lightning. Is anybody hearing the preacher today? When things come your way, God puts all of a sudden a hill of difficulty in your path and you don't survive that based on self-will. Even Jesus himself prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane that night he said not my will I can't do this based on my will I've got to have faith in something else I've got to have confidence in something else I've got to have God in my life hallelujah to God
Lord. So let me say again, back to my notes, every single purpose that is formed in your own strength is like the writing in the sand at the seashore. Somewhere along the line, your will and yourself, your self-will has to convert to faith. Simon, listen to Pastor. And I don't want to hear a giggle on what I'm about to say. Simon would have not become Peter without the sifting. Until the hour faith has been tested, we wallow in incompetence of inexperience. Until the hour that our faith has been tested, we discover the unfitness of our unfaithfulness. Until we're tested, until we've been sifted, we only find that, that help that comes from men. Until that hour of faith, we just never discover the privileges that come with maturity. Our faith is attacked because the whole idea of the devil is to get us to walk by sight and not by faith. Sidewalking will get you destroyed. Sidewalking will wear you down. Sidewalking will destroy your soul. The Bible said, for we walk by faith and not by sight. There's folks sitting here today, and please forgive my tone, but you sat in my office for hours with counsel of you need to do this, and I recommend you do that, and you need to find a prayer room, and you need to find some fast days and some Bible reading. You need to find faithfulness in your life, and now your life is being ripped apart on every side, and you're scratching your head and saying, I've reached a point in my life where I can't solve the problem I'm facing right now on my own. These things have been trumpeted for years. It's imperative, folks, that we understand that you make your way to what has been called for years an old-fashioned altar and you determine in your life from this day forward, it's not my will anymore, but it's thy will be done. When you start looking at the kingdom of God according to what you can see, you play into the hands of the devil. Periodically in my life, I can feel a little defiance rising in my soul when the devil is doing his best to sift through things in my life. But what rattles hell is when you worship despite how you feel, when you worship despite how you may see things, when you worship and pray even though your prayer is tinged with fear and doubt, when you fast even though you don't see a ready solution it unhinges hell it gets hell on its ear when the battered child of God still keeps his faith and says you know what I'm going to fight for God another day I'm living to fight another day and as long as I have my faith in him Chris Lewis thank you for your sweet response and it just reminded me of that morning that they were sitting in the little surgery waiting area. How was Cohen when he had surgery? Six months. And to have surgery kind of between where his brain and spine connects, if I remember correctly. They know the outcome of that surgery. The doctor made no promises. As a matter of fact, in my opinion, what he said was pretty grim, Sister Melanie. I think he, he said he might have a 50% chance of walking, talking, eating, swallowing, and all that kind of stuff. That couple was on their head, do you hear me? But I was so thankful I could stand in front of them that day as their pastor and said, I know somebody. 
I've got faith in somebody. And his name is Jesus. And you know what? So did they. And I'd like for some of you to take notice of Cohen when he's running back and forth up here, having a good time with the other kids. He's a healthy, too healthy. Is that okay? He's really healthy. That went really good for Cohen. But I thank God today. Is anybody here the pastor? It rattles hell. The devil thought I'm going to take out a church drummer. I'm going to take out a mama whose heart is full of faith. I'm going to destroy a mom and a dad and in-laws and grandmas and grandpas, but not so. And I want them to know Hannah behind all of that was an interceding mother that said, not today, not on my watch, folks, when there's a hill of difficulty. I've got a friend, and his name is Jesus. God, I feel the Holy Ghost here today. Somebody clap your hands and shout, yes. Thank you. You may be seated. If Moses would have walked by sight instead of faith, he would have never been Israel's deliverer. There's great rewards that come from our faith being tested. The devil does not so much worry about destroying your material possessions as much as he worries about destroying your faith. He don't care what you have. He wants your faith. He wants your faith. Many of the sweetest songs of life are written from the experiences of failures and testings. It is a sifting process that men lose their self-will and arrogance. It's a sifting process that pride crumbles. It's a sifting process that gentleness is given. It's after the testing that temperance is received. I conclude today with one final snippet from the Pilgrim's Progress. It's the inspiration behind this message today. There's another scene where a Christian, the main person in this book, is again on his way and he finds a path leading to a palace. As he begins to walk towards the lodge, he notices that there are some lions standing in the path according to the book. Christian obviously begins to feel fear and is unnerved by the presence of these vicious beasts. He now understands why mistrust and fearful both have turned their back in their journey. For a moment, he considers even turning back. Then pressing through his fear is the loud voice of one named Watchful. He asks, is your strength so small? Don't fear the lions. They're placed in the path for the trial of faith to find out where it is and reveal it to those who do not have faith. He instructs him to stay in the middle of the path. Just stay in the middle of the path. With the illumination of the light in the gathering darkness, Christian then has the ability to see that the lions are chained to each side of the path, that if he will stay in the path, the lions cannot harm him. He, he could hear their roar, but not a single tooth nor claw of the lion could touch him. That's the way it is with the sifting process, Sister Bonnie. If we stay in the path, stay in the middle of the path, stay where God wants us. Paul said, if you'll stand with me this morning, Paul said in Romans chapter 8, verse 35, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? 
Shall tribulation or distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, or peril or sword, it is written for thy sake. We are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded, Paul said, I'm persuaded, Sister Landry, that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, or any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Jesus said in John 14, one of my most favorite scripture readings, I use this when I preach my mother's funeral. Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me in my Father's house. Or many mansions, and if it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. So it was with Peter. His sifting became his greatest moment of recovery. Peter wrote, wherein greatly rejoiced, Peter himself wrote, that now for a season... If need be, you are in heaviness through manifold temptation or trial for a season. That the trial of your faith being more precious than of gold that perishes, though it be tried with fire, might find unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus. This segment of Scripture was written after the sifting of Peter. He wrote it himself after he survived the sifting. And because his faith never failed, there was the miracle of the lame man in Acts chapter 3. Because his faith didn't fail, Brother Billy, there was the incident with Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5. There was the miracle of Peter's shadow. There were prison doors that were open for him. Dorcas was raised to life. Aeneas was healed of palsy. Cornelius was filled with the Holy Ghost. Prison doors were open. And untold thousands were filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost and, 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 and baptized in Jesus' name because Simon's faith didn't fail. Jesus' prayer was answered. I remember, it's been a number of years ago, but it's still relevant to me. Sister Murph and I, and after many years of wrestling with ministry, period, finally submitted to it. And after three and a half years of evangelizing, we were led to go to Youngstown, Ohio, to start a church. We started in our living room. We were there for a year, knocking doors, teaching Bible studies. Our first service after we were there for a year we had 16 gathered in our living room for our first church service. But prior to that, right after we had gone to Youngstown, we had been there, if I remember correctly, about three or four months when I got a call that my mother and stepdad were on their way from Baton Rouge back to Pasadena, Texas, where they lived and were in a horrible car accident. A few of you remember that. It killed my stepdad instantly, and it should have killed my mother, but God had plans. She was in a coma for two weeks, so being brand new on a job, had no vacation. We were just scrimping by with just pennies a day. We drove down. Friends of ours kept our children. We drove straight through from Youngstown, Ohio, to Beaumont, Texas, where she was in the hospital. When I looked at her for the very first time, I didn't recognize that that was even my mother. Her head was swollen, just unbelievable. 
had all problems from head to foot. Before it was all said and done, I had a decision to make. Am I going to go to Youngstown and continue to build the kingdom of God? Or was I going to stay there with my mother? And I'll be the first to admit I'm a mama's boy. I have always, always deeply loved my mother. We were at the hospital for about five days, not knowing if she would live or die. Sister Murph and I had a sit-down, come-to-Jesus meeting. And we both concluded that we needed to leave my, what was at that time literally my dying mother. And we were going to Youngstown and start a church, and I asked my family to please understand. I had to get back to work. We had no money. It was a true hill of difficulty. I sobbed going down the interstate when we left that hospital. I repented. I asked God to forgive me. I felt like I was betraying my own mother who was always there for me and when she needed me, I left her. I still struggle with it. Still struggle with it. It was a tall mountain to climb and I left her. We got back to Youngstown and my brother, one of my brothers called and said, I believe it was a Thursday night and said, Mom's not going to make it. The doctor said, go in and pick out her burial clothes. She had been in a coma for over two weeks and you're going to have to make plans to come back down for a funeral. I said, okay. I was saddened by that news, but I was more saddened that I left her. Left her. The next morning, about 6 o'clock, the phone rang, and Sister Murph and I both laying in bed that morning. I was about to get up and go to work. We said, well, she died. This is that call. Answered the call, the same brother was on the other end of the line screaming, laughing. Said, what is wrong with you? He said, the doctors can't explain it, but mom came out of her coma and wants to know where her boys are. Took her about a little over a year to recover completely. But she ended up moving back up to close to about 50 miles from where we were pastoring. Met another wonderful man, married him, and had a very happy life until she passed in 1999. I'm telling you that story to say that I'm not up here preaching something I don't know about. There's been many hills of difficulty. I could keep you here a long time. But so far, Brother Kelton, my faith hasn't failed. I'm still here to fight another day, to preach another message. There's no question whether I was coming to church this morning. Tornado, don't matter. I'm going to church. God, you've got this. So I'm here today to give you an opportunity. There's several people here today especially. I'd like to give you an opportunity to begin that transition of converting your self-will to faith because you don't know what's in front of you tomorrow. Nobody would ever dream, Kayla, and I'm not here to patronize you guys. You all know me better than that. No one would have ever dreamed that there had been an emergency room this time last Sunday, thanking God that her daddy was still alive. Happened just like that. So I'm going to ask you today with everything in me is to take that hill of difficulty in front of you and let God use it to convert 
Self-will to faith. Self-will to faith. I can't live anymore without Jesus in my life. As they begin to sing this morning, I want to open up the front of this building, and I'm going to ask folks to come down here and get a hold of God. Our young people, I don't care how much you think you've got your act together, you need Jesus in your life every single day. Convert your will to faith. Convert your will to faith. Y'all, come on. Everybody, come on.